invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 22. Our scripture reading tonight is verses 41 through 50. 41 through 50. The writer, the author of Kings, uh, uh, actually Kings, uh, it's important to know that this is uh, originally one single book. There was a first and second Kings. We're coming to the place where they cut the scroll. They had their reasons for cutting it where they did. But we are seeing that uh, the author uh, is focusing on uh, the, the people of the northern kingdom of Israel, the kings of the northern kingdom, and their unfaithfulness, their apostasy, their idolatry. Primarily, Ahab has been the focus. And Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, has also uh, been mentioned as well. And tonight, as we come to the end of 1 Kings, uh, there is a summary passage that is our text tonight about Jehoshaphat. So he'll be our, the focus of our attention. Um, I'd like to invite you as well as turning to 1 Kings 22 to turn also to 2 Chronicles chapter 19, 2 Chronicles 19, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 of 2 Chronicles 19, as well as 2 Chronicles 20, verses 35 through 37. So I'm having you jump all over the place tonight. First of all, uh, 1 Kings chapter 22, beginning at verse 41. Hear the word of God. Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, began to reign over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhi. And he walked in all the ways of Asa, his father. He did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. And yet the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. And Jehoshaphat also made peace with the king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat and his might that he showed and how he warred are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And from the land he exterminated the remnant of the male cult prostitutes who remained in the days of his father Asa. There was no king in Edom. A deputy was king. And Jehoshaphat made ships of Tarshish to go to, to, go to Ophir for gold, but they did not go for the ships were wrecked at Ezion Geber. And when Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, Let my servants go with your servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat was not willing. And Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. And Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. Turning now over to... Second Chronicles chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. And Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned in safety to his house in Jerusalem. 
But when Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, wrath has gone out against you from the Lord. Nevertheless, some good is found in you, for you destroyed the Asheroth out of the land and have set your heart to seek the Lord. Turning now over to chapter 20, verses 35 through 37. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, joined with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted wickedly. He joined him in building ships to go to Tarshish. And they built the ships in Ezion-Geber, when Eliezer, the son of Dadavahu of Merashah prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have joined with Ahaziah, the Lord will destroy what you have made. And the ships were wrecked and were not able to go to Tarshish. So ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Heavenly Father, we do give praise and thanks to you for your word which in all that it gives us of your dealings with your people is your most holy covenantal word. It is a word that was revealed to your people of old, and it is a word even at this day that we have read and that we hear and that we meditate upon realizing that it is the instrument by which your Holy Spirit conforms us and draws us to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our head and Savior. And so, O Lord, may this be the case, even this night, that you would do so. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been in a situation, maybe a social situation, where Um, you get suddenly an uneasy feeling that uh, things are going in a direction where you may be expected to join in with something that you are uneasy with. And the temptation is to go along with it because, as, as Derek Kidner has written, the unscrupulous can be convenient allies and scoffers can be daunting opponents. We are sometimes put in situations where we're tempted to make partnerships and alliances with those who hate God. They think we, when we do that, we think that it will help us achieve a larger goal. But in doing so, we bring ourselves into great danger. When faced with such opportunities, we need to ask the Lord for courage to say no. That two-letter word is sometimes the hardest word for us to say. No. We will see that in the life of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, that that was a word that he found very difficult to say. But the Lord dealt with Jehoshaphat. And the purpose of the writer of Kings is not primarily to point out that he was 
a wicked king or a disobedient king. Actually, he's mentioned just prior to the account that Ricardo is going to preach upon next Sunday night of Ahaziah, who is a wicked king. And Jehoshaphat is presented to us as a foil against of the backdrop against which Ahaziah will be presented. And Jehoshaphat is a godly king. So I want us to look at Jehoshaphat and see a godly man. But I want us to see as well a godly man who is faced with a temptation that he had a pretty hard time with. He repeatedly fell, and the Lord dealt with him. We're going to look at this passage under four headings. First, the good that he did. That is speaking of Jehoshaphat. The good that he did. Secondly, the compromises that he made. Thirdly, the warning the Lord brought him. Fourthly, the fruit that such a warning brought. The good that he did, the compromises that he made, the warning that the Lord brought, and the fruit of that warning. First, the good that Jehoshaphat did. We see this in verses 41 through 43a. We read that Jehoshaphat is the son of Asa. And uh, Asa was uh, a king who was also godly. Um, Asa walked according to the Lord's will. He followed after, Jehoshaphat followed after his father. Asa had gotten rid of the temple prostitutes and he had removed idols from the land of Judah. Asa even went so far as to remove his own mother from being queen mother because she had an image of an Asherah. So Asa was one who was a godly king. And we're told here in this, it's these verses that we're looking at, that Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, he uh, reigned over Judah. He was 35 when he began to reign, and he reigned for 25 years in Jerusalem. We're told his mother's name, Azuba, the daughter of Shilhi. But verse 43 tells us that he walked in all the way of Asa, his father. He did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. That's the verdict of the writer of Kings. Jehoshaphat walked in the way of Asa, his father. He did not turn aside from it. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And so we see then, that Jehoshaphat was a godly king. He loved the Lord. And he loved the Lord because the Lord loved him. That is the case for all those who love the Lord. Uh, When uh, we love God, it is because he has first loved us. And God had revealed his covenant to Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat uh, was one who was born again of the Spirit of God. And he followed after righteousness. He did that which was pleasing to the Lord. 
mention is made of the high places. One of the things that we see is that prior to the building of the temple by Solomon, that uh, the Israelites had tolerated shrines built on hills in various places throughout the land. And those shrines, uh, at those shrines, offerings would be made to the Lord. And prior to the building of the temple, that was not condemned. After the building of the temple, the Israelites were to come to Jerusalem and all of the offerings and the worship of the Israelites was to be in the place that God had ordained for that to happen in, at the temple in Jerusalem. But what happened is that these shrines continued to be popular and the kings, all of the various kings, you'll, have, you'll remember that that's the kind of thing that is mentioned of them, that they fought against, they tried to eliminate the high places, but very seldom were they able to succeed in eliminating them all. And so, like his father Asa, Jehoshaphat, is criticized, he says, yet the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. And it reminds us of this issue of worship. This issue of worship. Our worship of God is not to be as we think it should be, according to our ideas and conceptions of what is convenient or what we like. But the worship of God is that which God institutes. And for the people of God in, in uh, Jehoshaphat's time, God had instituted worship in the temple. And they were disobedient in continuing to carry on worship at these shrines at the high places. You see the same thing today. Uh, people, uh, in, uh, broadly speaking, have a very, uh, an idea about the worship of God that is largely pragmatic. And whatever works best, whatever will draw the largest crowds, whichever will uh, make people most uh, apt to come, those are the practices that are adopted. But the Lord's word regulates his worship. So we're reminded of that as we think about the high places. We see then that uh, Jehoshaphat uh, was not successful in carrying out completely their eradication. But we see something of the godly character of Jehoshaphat in the way in which when he was, uh, when he was in various situations in his life, he inquired of the Lord. He inquired of a word from the Lord. Before he made those decisions, he wanted to know what the Lord had to say. Verse 45, we're referred to other resources for information. And uh, we're told the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat and his might that he showed and how he warred, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And so the author of, uh, of Kings is saying to us, there's a lot more that I could tell you, but I'm being selective. Giving a very short account of Jehoshaphat here. So we learn something of the blessing of God in Chronicles, the blessing of God on Jehoshaphat in Chronicles. So uh, I invite you to turn to chapter 17. 
of Second uh, Chronicles. Here we read in verses 3 through 10 that the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the earlier ways of his father, David. In Second Chronicles 17, 3, he did not seek the Baals, but he sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments, not according to the practices of the northern kingdom of Israel. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat, and he had great riches and honor, and his heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord, and furthermore, he took the high, he took the high places in the ashram out of Judah. Now, you may be scratching your head. We just read that he didn't take the high places, and now we're reading that he did. And so the way to resolve that is to think about it this way that uh, Jehoshaphat was successful in eliminating idolatry, that is, the worship of the Asherah at the high places. He was not successful in eliminating the offerings of God's people and the sacrifices that were made at the uh, high places. That's a distinction that I think is helpful because he was, uh, he, was, he was set to eliminate, he, he did a great deal to eliminate uh, the uh, practice of idol worship, as his father Asa had done. But the, the continuation of, of uh, the offerings at the high places was something that continued. But if we look down still here in Second Chronicles chapter 17, uh, we read that uh, during... Uh, that the Lord blessed him. He had great, uh, he had great wealth. Um, and notice in verse 10, and the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah. So they made no war with Jehoshaphat. So Jehoshaphat uh, was blessed in that he did not have his neighbors attacking him during his reign. And, uh, and not only that, but they brought tribute to Jehoshaphat. So Jehoshaphat was a king who was greatly blessed by God with wealth and honor, with tribute from the nations. And he did that was right and pleasing to the Lord. But the author goes on to tell us something about Jehoshaphat in the verses that we're going to see in verses 47 and following. There's mention in verse 47 that there was no king in Edom. A deputy was king. Now, Edom is that area to the, on the southernmost area of Judah on the other side of the Dead Sea. And uh, Edom was the place where uh, if Jehoshaphat had control over it, he would be able to have access to uh, the ocean seas. And so we're told that Jehoshaphat made ships of Tarshish to go to Ophir for gold, but they did not go, for the ships were wrecked at Ezion-Geber. Here we're uh, reminded of this incident, which actually occurred at the end of his life, in which Jehoshaphat fell into an unholy, uh, uh, an unholy alliance uh, with, uh, with Ahaziah to... Uh, travel to seek 
after gold. Now, Jehoshaphat did that because he was so blessed by God that I think he had the idea of the rebuilding of something of the glory that was Solomon's. Remember that Solomon had fleets that went out and, and, and got uh, precious minerals and gold from the various nations and spices. And the wealth of the world poured into Solomon's kingdom. And I think Jehoshaphat had something of that idea when he tried to make this fleet of ships. But we see then that uh, Jehoshaphat made compromises. And he made a peace with the king of Israel. That's what's mentioned here in verse 44. Jehoshaphat also made peace with the king of Israel. So why did Jehoshaphat want so much to make peace with the king of Israel? I think that it was probably because his father, Asa, was constantly at war with Israel. Jehoshaphat saw that a policy in which the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom were allied would be good for Judah that they could join their forces militarily and repel their enemies. They would be a stronger deterrent against those that would attack. And that they might also carry on joint activity that would be economic, that they would enter into a partnership that would make for greater prosperity in the land. And uh, one commentator has said this, as a matter of mere human policy, the conduct of Jehoshaphat in joining, a- with joining Ahab against the Syrians was not only justifiable, but wise and prudent. And the reasonings upon which such a policy was founded would have been unexceptionable except for one thing, one circumstance. Ahab was an idolater. End of quote. So uh, I think he uh, was, uh, he had ideas of establishing a unified nation again uh, between the North and the South for those reasons. But how did he make peace? Uh, We're going to get to the verses that are here, but I want us to take a larger look at Jehoshaphat, something that wasn't mentioned in our text, but is mentioned in Chronicles, is that Jehoshaphat made a marriage alliance with Ahab. Jehoshaphat made a marriage alliance with Ahab. He gave his son Jehoram in marriage to Ahab's daughter, Ahab and Jezebel's daughter, Athaliah, the daughter uh, of Ahab and Jezebel. And uh, in 2 Chronicles 18, 1 and 2, we read, Uh, Now Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor, and he made a marriage alliance with Ahab. And uh, that is the setting, or that is the uh, undergirding of this coming together that that, uh, Jehoshaphat was seeking, an alliance between ungodly King Ahab and the godly line of David. And it lay behind, this alliance lay behind the words of Jehoshaphat when he said to Ahab, you remember when 
uh, he was with Ahab, and they were considering going to war, going to battle. And uh, Ahab was urging Jehoshaphat to join him. And Jehoshaphat's answer was, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. When you think about those words, you can see that there was a, there was a marriage alliance that made that kind of an expression, that kind of a promise uh, uh, come to Jehoshaphat's lips. It lay behind it. Jehoshaphat joined with Israel in a military expedition. And uh, that uh, uh, he went to fight against Syria with uh, Ahab's army. Uh, And they went into that battle without the Lord's blessing. As you remember, that Micaiah prophesied that if Ahab came back alive, then he had not spoken God's word. And Ahab was killed in that battle. Jehoshaphat barely escaped with his life. And we will soon see in 2 Kings 3 that after Ahab's son, um, uh, uh, Ahaziah, had died, that his brother Jehoram entered into another agreement with Jehoshaphat, and they went to go to war together against Moab. And again, uh, with Jehoram, Jehoshaphat uh, also said, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Jehoshaphat joined forces with Israel. Then the third thing is that he joined forces with Israel in this building of this fleet of ships. So the marriage alliance, the battle with Syria, and now, and then the battle later on uh, with Moab, and now the uh, battle or, or this fleet of uh, ships that uh, Jehoshaphat is building uh, along with Ahaziah. And uh, the mention that, uh, of this, and, we've, and when we kind of try to combine everything together with what is told us about it in Second Chronicles, we get this, and that is that, first of all, Jehoshaphat wanted to, this fleet of ships to bring more wealth to Judah, even as Solomon had done previously, Secondly, that we read in Chronicles that a prophet came to Jehoshaphat and said to him, the Lord will destroy this fleet of ships because you're joining again with, Jehoshaphat, with, with uh, Ahaziah. And then thirdly, we read that the ships were wrecked. And then finally, we read that uh, in, in 1 Kings chapter 22, that... Uh, Jehoshaphat was not willing. Verse 49, at the end of verse 49, Ahaziah urged, even after the wrecking of the ships, that they be rebuilt and that they try to make the expedition again. And it seems as though Jehoshaphat finally gets the message. I really should not be doing this. And it says, he was not willing and he said no. And so then I want us to consider, after thinking about these compromises that Jehoshaphat made and this alliance that he was making consistently throughout his reign with the northern kingdom under first Ahaz, then Ahaziah, and then Jehoram, uh, Ahaziah's brother, it seems to be that Jehoshaphat 
would not let go of this dream of a united Judah and Israel. And, and if you think of the nature of this marriage alliance, and you think of who Jezebel was and who Ahab was, they had, they had, uh, had a campaign to kill the prophets of the Lord. They, they were murderers of God's people. They were wicked idolaters. They substituted the worship of, even the worship that uh, Jehor, uh, Jeroboam had, had uh, set up in the uh, founding of the northern kingdom, which was bad enough, but they substituted that with Baal worship. They were open, uh, in open rebellion against the living God, and they were wicked people. And for uh, Jeroboam to enter into this kind of an, a marriage alliance with them and to give his son in marriage to Athaliah was awful. Just a, a terrible policy. And so, uh, the thirdly, then, let's look at the warning that the Lord gave. So we've seen first that, uh, that um, Jehoshaphat was a godly king. Secondly, that he made compromises. Thirdly, the warning that the Lord gave him. We heard something about uh, the Apostle Paul warning the Galatians this morning about uh, the, the, the danger that they were in of substituting a false gospel for a true gospel. And it, I was thinking as I was listening this morning about that, of this warning that um, Jehoshaphat receives again and again from the mouths of prophets. But the Lord does that with his people. With those who are his sons and daughters, he warns them, he loves them, and he sends people into our lives to speak his word to us. The writer of Hebrews writes about the Lord's reproving, his warning, his discipline, and the writer of Hebrews says that the Lord disciplines all of the children that he loves. He says, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? Notice the language, be subject to. And I want to just call your attention to the fact that Jehoshaphat finally was subject to the warning of the prophet, and he said, no, I won't go ahead with this fleet anymore. To become subject to the Father of our spirits. It is really what it means to be a Christian, is to live in subjection to the Lord, in submission to him. The writer of Hebrews continues, and they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best for them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I do believe that Jehoshaphat was ultimately trained by it, but it was he had, to, he had to be warned and spoken to more than once. Isn't that true of us as well? You know, yeah, you'd like to think that, you know, one time 
teaches you the lesson. But the Lord comes to us again and again because we have proclivities and we have besetting sins and we have things that we do repeatedly. And the Lord disciplines those that he loves. Thankfully, he does not give up. So when Jehoshaphat returned, well, this is something we learn also from Chronicles, Second Chronicles 19, too, and we read this earlier. When he returned from war with the Syrians by the skin of his teeth, the prophet Jehu said to him, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, wrath has gone out against you from the Lord. Nevertheless, some good is found in you, for you destroyed the Asherah out of the land and have set your heart to seek the Lord. And notice that it's the word of God that is a mirror to Jehoshaphat that helps Jehoshaphat see what he has done. When we're confronted with God's word of warning, that's the effect it should have on us. It should help us to have self-knowledge. Should you help the wicked? Should you love those that God hates? Then who hate the Lord? Because of this, wrath has gone out from the Lord. Matthew Henry says, It is a black character of wicked people that they are haters of God. Idolaters are so reputed in the second commandment. Therefore, it is not for those that love God to take delight in them or contract an intimacy with them. The psalmist says, Do I not hate those that hate thee? Jehoshaphat here has the prophet hold up before him his obligation to remain separate from the wicked Ahab, and that he was wrong to enter into this wicked alliance. Now, it's interesting to notice Jehoshaphat's response to the rebuke he receives, because we're told that, well, first of all, think about uh, if you remember that Jehoshaphat's father, Asa, one of the things about Asa was that he also was rebuked by a prophet. And uh, when the prophet rebuked Asa, Asa was angry with the seer, we're told, in Second Chronicles 16.10, and put him in the stocks in prison, for he was in a rage with him because of this. Now, in... Second Chronicles 19.2, we're told that Jehoshaphat, after these words of reproof were given to him, should you help the wicked and love those that hate the Lord, we're told in 19.2 that Jehoshaphat lived at Jerusalem and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. So Jehoshaphat seems to have responded well to this rebuke. 
He took the words to heart and he did, he stayed home. He stayed in Jerusalem. Not only did he stay in Jerusalem, but he traveled throughout the land of Judah from the southern tip to the northern tip of Judah. And he brought, he went out among the people preaching to them and teaching them to bring them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. We find as well that Jehoshaphat finally submitted to the rebuke that he received for the building of the fleet of of ships. So the, the result or the fruit of this discipline is what I want us to consider next. In Jehoshaphat, we have an example of what the life of the Christian believer is like. God has renewed your heart in Christ Jesus. He has given you new life. He's forgiven your sins. He's given you a new nature. That nature is ascendant and it is dominant. And yet it is not yet free from sin there are still remaining battles. There is remaining sin in our thoughts, our emotions, our affections, and our will. And there are those areas in our lives where we lack self-understanding. We lack an accurate knowledge of ourselves. And why is that? Uh, Paul Tripp, in an article that I read by him, says this, Evil doesn't always look evil. Sin often looks good. And this is part of what makes it so bad. In order for sin to do its evil work, Tripp writes, it must present itself as something that is anything but evil. Life in a fallen world is like attending the ultimate masquerade party. You know what a masquerade party is, right? It's like attending the ultimate masquerade party. An an impatient moment of yelling wears the costume of zeal for truth. Let that sink in. An impatient moment of yelling, wears the costume of zeal for truth. Lust masquerades as love for beauty. Gossip wears lives in, uh, gossip wears lives in the costume of, uh, lives in the costume of, of, of concern and prayer, end of quote. But what Paul Tripp is noticing here, and this idea of the masquerade party, is that often sin lies concealed underneath a greater something that we consider to be good. And if we're not aware that we may have a tendency to deceive ourselves in that way, We will do things and we will experience things and come to a knowledge and repentance only through pain. Because it's only pain 
that can free us from the grip of self-deception. It's like getting whacked. It's like something, something has to happen to jolt your way of thinking because your way of thinking isn't in line with God's word. In another place uh, in this same article, Paul Tripp says this, only in the mirror of God's word and with the sight-giving help of the Holy Spirit are we able to see ourselves accurately in, the, in those painful moments. Notice that. In those painful moments of, of uh, accurate self-sight, we may not feel as if we are being loved. But that is exactly what is happening. God, who loves us enough to sacrifice his son for our redemption, works so that we begin to see ourselves clearly and so that we would not buy into the delusion of our own righteousness. And he gives us a sense of our personal need so that we'll see the resources of grace that can only be found in him. End of quote. The mirror of God's word gives his sight giving, but that sight giving is a painful sight, and it will cause you to grieve. It will cause you to see yourself in a way that you had not before. And what I want us to see is that I believe that Jehoshaphat is a man who exemplifies a man who was stubbornly involved in repeated unholy alliances with wicked men. He was confronted by prophets, and he finally was brought into submission. The Westminster Confession of Faith says, the most wise, righteous, and gracious God doth oftentimes leave for a season his own children to manifest temptations and the corruptions of their own hearts, to chastise them for their former sins, or to discover unto them the hidden strength of their corruption and the deceitfulness of their hearts, that they may be humbled, that they may be humbled, now, to be humbled is painful. If you don't know that, you've never been humbled. To be humbled is to experience the pain of discipline. But I love the next line in the Westminster Confession on this. The purpose of God is to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon himself. That is the loving Heavenly Father who comes to us in his word, confronts us with with the knowledge of what we're doing that is wrong, causes us to see ourselves in a new light, and then to repent of it and to grieve for it and to be humbled before him. But to go forward from that point, more dependent upon the Lord for the Lord to keep us on that path how we need to be careful that we do not join and cause great damage by alliances with those that do not love the Lord. Uh, 
Jehoshaphat's son married Athaliah, and when uh, her when uh, he died, Athaliah, you remember, reigned for six years in the house of Judah, and she destroyed the royal family of Judah, except for one young boy, Joash, who was protected by Jehoiada, the priest. Through through, through Jehoshaphat's foolish alliance with Ahab, he almost brought the line of David to an end. God would not allow that because of his covenant promise. But it is a warning to all of us as well. And Paul writes about the need for us to beware of entering into partnerships with the wicked. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Baal? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will walk, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. The point is that I do believe that Jehoshaphat, godly man that he was, sinner that he was, was finally taught by the Spirit of God and learned to say, no. And may God help us when we are confronted with those moments and we are faced with something that we know that is not pleasing to the Lord, that we will have the courage of our convictions to say, no. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, We ask that you would keep us as your children through the discipline that you often apply to us and enable us, O Lord, to be brought under submission to you in such a way that we may be yours and yours alone. Keep us on the path. Keep us, Father, from doing those kinds of things that can damage and put in great danger not only our own souls, but many others as well. We ask these things through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.